Informing America's farmers and ranchers. It's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture as we wrap up another week. Thank you for joining us. Here's what we're going to talk about today. We have the latest ag equipment sales numbers out. They're actually looking pretty good. We'll talk with Kurt Blades with the Association of Equipment Manufacturers about that. Big debate going on about who should oversee uh, lab-grown meats. Should it be FDA or should it move to USDA? And part of that is also about labeling of uh, plant-based foods and things like that that the dairy industry has been very uh, uh, involved in for some time, wanting a stricter enforcement of FDA rules on labeling. We'll talk with the Vice President for Dairy Foods and Nutrition with the National Milk Producers Federation about that. Then we have a lot of numbers to go over from USDA. Steve Nicholson with Robo Research will be joining us later in the program. But we want to start it off with Jarrett Renshaw, National Energy Markets Reporter for Reuters. Jarrett has done some great reporting, giving us a look into how the EPA, under Scott Pruitt's leadership, handled RFS decisions. Jarrett, thank you for joining us. You've really been able to pull back the curtain, and we're, we get a lot better look now at some things that many had suspicions of, but now we have actual proof of. Uh, yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah, there was uh, an interesting document dump the other day. Uh, the EPA put a bunch of documents to their credit, and I think to the, to the federal government's credit, to kind of show some of the decision-making process and how they get, they say, how the sausage gets made, right? And uh, so I thought it was uh, pretty illuminating. So give us some of the, the details here, some of the things that stand out. And I guess one of the things the biofuels industry was particularly interested in what influence the oil industry had on those epa decisions sure so there's a clear timeline um that 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 is now uh we can see and uh so essentially scott pruitt goes to the midwest takes a tour hears a lot of unrest from 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 farmers over his handling of the rfs particularly the small refining uh waivers he comes back. There seems to be some some discussions with uh, uh, Secretary Purdue, um, and then uh, last minute the EPA puts in a uh, a provision which essentially would uh, estimate the the, the the small refining waiver gallons for 2019, and essentially go from the blending from a, something like 10.88 percent to 11.16 percent, something along those lines, essentially shifting. Uh, the weight volumes onto larger refineries. Um, that happens, and then, um, as we all saw, there was a big pushback by the oil industry. We, there is call phone calls between uh, Ted Cruz and Pat Toomey, a Republican out of Pennsylvania. Um, and a day later, the EPA pulls this provision and no longer reallocates uh, volume. So, it's, you know, it's clear, uh, as we've seen and as I've seen during covering this, the push and pull between the oil and corn, this was very self-evident here. We had a, a push from a uh, from the uh, the corn folks who were, were successfully uh, got this provision in, and then a push from the oil folks who successfully got it out. Uh, I guess whoever the last one in wins, right? Hmm. Yeah, seemed that way. But as I said, this really was kind of the suspicion all along that the, that influence by the oil industry brought this about but i think it was interesting that it looked like one plan was in place and then that last minute change uh, after that pressure sure there's no doubt 
I can tell you, and they were on the record, we had, uh, you know, we had phone calls from the oil lobby who reached out to us because um, they wanted to elevate and escalate this and, 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 and kind of put out their, their bullhorn that they were unhappy about it, and they were, they were willing to talk about something that was still speculative, which most of these organizations generally uh, don't, don't like to speculate. Or, um, so, but they wanted to get out in front, and, and so they, you know, they made a targeted approach. They had presumably looked like they had senators who were friendly to their, um, you know, to their interests to make personal phone calls. Um, and, uh, in the end, uh, those, uh, those efforts worked and they got their provision pulled. And I think there was uh, some salt in the wound for the biofuel folks too, is that, um, in the final rule, uh, the EPA said they're, they're not taking any commentary on, on the, how to handle the small refining exemption. So it's, it seems hard. It seems implausible to go from, Hey, here's a solution. Hey, we're getting out of the solution. And then lastly we're not even going to talk about it um i suspect the biofuel folks who are not going to take their advice i think during the comment period we'll, we'll see a lot about about this particularly given the fact that there is a blueprint now to how the epa at least was considering it and certainly we now see the contradictions between what scott pruitt was saying publicly and what was actually going on behind the scenes yeah it's, it's, it's always you know that, that is a, that is always a challenge uh you know there's certainly a lot of times where uh, uh, Mr. Pro got tripped up and seemed to, to be suggesting things uh, publicly. You know, it, it's a lot like uh, Donald Trump's criticized for. He, sometimes when whoever's in front of you, you, you placate the audience, right? And that's always uh, it's always tough to do in politics. But when there's a paper trail that, that seems to, um, you know, undercut uh, what you're saying, I mean, the DPA minister said we can't reallocate bonds. I mean, that was that was what he said at some point, you know. So, you know, I think it's a lesson that we don't always, uh, you know, I think it's I think we should be cynical of what all politicians say, not just you know Republicans and Democrats. I think uh, it, it's just wise to uh, you know get a better understanding of the issue, um, and uh, you know, don't take them at their word. Unfortunately, that's just the way it is. What are your thoughts, early thoughts, and impressions of Andrew Wheeler as he takes over as interim head of EPA? Well, I mean, if you take this as a sign, there was a uh, response to Senator Grassley's uh, uh, request for information for some information on the small refining exemptions. That came out yesterday. Hard to tell whether that was uh, something that was already in the works or not. Um, Was this something that Wheeler, uh, you know, fast track to make sure that hey listen you know we're gonna this is a sign of good faith um i don't know the answers to that um but i, I think it's fair to, to interpret at least some some positive that there's going to be a better working relationship between this epa and some of the, the biofuel folks and their the kind of legislative backers um you know I, I think uh senator grassley is his public statements is that he doesn't want he's fine with the interim until next year I think he's uh, the strategy there is that he's going to, um, you know, make Mr. Wheeler um, show that he's uh, that that he can support some of his his agenda before he signs off on anything. So I think, you know, you get some leverage by not not doing a, any kind of vote on that. And uh, and I think if Wheeler shows some good faith just to working, you know, even as on the procedural steps, I I, I can't see. Um, I, I think that would be received favorably. Um, by Grassley and some of the other backers there in D.C. Well, he kind of had a blueprint of what not to do, so hopefully he'll learn those lessons and uh, it'll be a, 
a better approach, a better relationship moving forward. Sure. I think that's, uh, you know, that that is, seems to be the catchphrase. I think he understands how to, uh, to bring stakeholders together, make collaborative decisions, and then sometimes people are willing to live with bad decisions if they feel like they've been a part of the process. Um, I'm not so sure that would be the case, but I, I, I do think that's, I do think that's a better way to govern, um, and I do think that you at least get, you know, you, you, you can't get criticized for the decisions on the back end if you, if, if you bring everybody and, and at least hear their, hear their opinions. Well, Jared, great reporting. Thanks for being with us. Hey, no problem. Thank you. Jared Renshaw, National Energy Markets Reporter for Reuters. All right, we have the latest ag equipment sales numbers out, and they're not too bad, showing some positive signs. We'll talk with Kurt Blades with the Association of Equipment Manufacturers next on Adams on Agriculture. Most of us like to be out in the sun. That's why sunscreen and other safety measures are key to protecting your skin from aging and cancer. The FDA recommends using a sunscreen with a sun protection factor, or SPF, of 15 or higher. Also, look for broad spectrum on the label. That means both harmful ultraviolet A and B rays are blocked. UVA rays age the skin, UVB rays burn, and both cause cancer. But the perfect sunscreen doesn't count if you use it wrong. Don't need sunscreen on a cloudy day? Wrong. 80% of UV rays still get through the haze. Only use sunscreen at the beach? Nope. Anytime you're outside, UV rays attack the skin, so you need protection. And you have to reapply sunscreen every two hours. Remember, SPF plus broad spectrum equal healthy fun in the sun. Visit www.fda.gov sunscreen for more information. A message from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. Do you need a car? Been shopping only to be turned down because of bad credit, low credit, no credit, bankruptcy, or divorce? Guess what? Today's your lucky day because now you can buy a car, truck, or SUV, just about any vehicle. It's true. Bad credit doesn't matter. No credit doesn't matter. Bankruptcy or divorce, it just doesn't matter. As a matter of fact, your job is your ticket to your new vehicle. We're Auto Credit Express, and we've helped thousands of people just like you. Antonio H. told us, great company, got me connected, and the day I went in, I drove off in the car I wanted. 100% worth your time. Need a car? Get started now and drive off as early as today. Just go to 11ignoremyscore.com right now. That's www.11ignoremyscore.com. Auto financing the easy way. 11ignoremyscore.com. Get started today. Auto financing the easy way. If you or your family love the freedom of swimming any time of year, if you love sharing good times and making great memories, or if you want one of the best total body workouts ever, then it's time to discover the three C's of your very own endless pool. The first C is convenience. Imagine swimming year-round in your own private swimming pool, installed indoors or out, just steps away. The second C is comfort. With sculpted spa seats and your own adjustable temperature, you can easily escape the stress of your day. And the third C is cost. Your endless pool is an affordable luxury at a fraction of the cost of a regular pool. 
And here's a bonus C, choice. Because when you call for your free Endless Pool Idea Kit, you'll receive information on our full line of pools to suit your budget and location. Call now for your free information, 800-717-0734, 800-717-0734. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, we've been keeping track of the ag equipment sales numbers and joining us again uh, today is the um, senior vice president of ag services for the association of equipment manufacturers kurt blades and kurt thanks for joining us i must admit i i get a little anxious when these numbers come out keep thinking with all the negative news we're hearing right now with trade and and the markets being what they are i keep thinking we're going to see some really bad numbers come out but uh once again uh, the uh the numbers released the sales numbers uh, look positive, especially considering this uh, ag economy and the environment. Well, your your reaction at the uh, the beginning of the month is pretty much the same as mine. I'm waiting with bated breath when I see these numbers release on the ninth of every month. That uh, are we are we going to continue with this little upswing that we're enjoying right now, or or do the numbers reflect uh, some pushback right now? But as you pointed out, this is, this is looking pretty nice right now. We're pretty happy about it. We'll get into maybe the whys uh, of what's what may be driving these numbers in a bit. But let's take a look first at the numbers, and we'll start with uh, U.S. sales of self-propelled combines at mid-year grew up 20.5%, 20.5% compared to last year. Pretty yep. pretty that's, strong numbers there. That, that's a good number, and that's, that's reflective of about uh, 400 additional units year over year. Uh, from this time last year in June, so I, I I think that's a good thing. And as you as you're well aware, Mike, I mean a, a combine is a considered purchase, so you don't you don't buy one of those on a whim. So you got to have you got to feel good about the economy. You got to feel good about the the the, the future of your farm business. You got to feel good about your commodity prices, uh, at least uh, in the future, to, uh, to to make that kind of investment. January to June, U.S. sales of four-wheel drive tractors up 5% over a year ago. And I thought this was really significant. June sales actually jumped 23% compared to a year ago. The, the June sales of the articulated four-wheel drive tractors was a, was a nice little bump. Now, I, I do think it's, we got a caution. We look per, specifically at the percentages. We're not talking about a lot of units there. So it's the, 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 the total sales of, of uh, you know four wheel drive tractors for the year is is you know just just a little bit over a thousand, so uh, a percentage jump really could re- re- reflect one or two combines, and, and thirty days does not necessarily a trend make. But if you look at the at the you know the, the six month year to date, we're up five percent um, uh, year over year for our articulated four wheel drive tractors, and you know certainly up in the in the big in the big acreage areas and folks that that, uh, that have a need for those big tractors again another considered purchase. They're 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 seeing enough positivity in the economy and the farm market to, to to consider making those investments. What about two-wheel drive tractors? So two-wheel drive tractors, you know, what one, we're signing on the full the two-wheel drive tractors that under forty horsepower market continues to be a, a, a just a really fascinating bright spot, and and uh, you know the under forty horsepower uh, tractor includes a lot of a lot of people. It includes. You know, farmers that may have one just running around their farm or using a little using a little bit of uh, of mowing with, 
uh, and is it just a general utility tractor or a livestock tractor. But there's a whole lot of folks that buy those under 40 horsepower tractors that, that don't derive their income from the farm. And many of our manufacturers are continuing to be, to be positive about that market. And I think that's a, that's a bigger reflection of the overall economy. What we saw in June, uh, we saw about a 15% month-over-month gain, uh, year-over-year gain for, uh, for June, which amounts to you know, about 2,000 units uh, of additional under-40 horsepower tractors. And that, if you look at that of the six-month year-to-date, we're up about 8% uh, on the under-40 horsepower tractors uh, year-to-date. And that, that's continuing off of, you know, last year. We, were, we ended the year at about 7%, 8% year-over-year uh, year sales on the, on the uh, under-40 horsepower, and that was preceded by another 8% in the year before that. So that continues to be a strong market, and that's a, it's an important market in terms of volume sales, and it's an important market in terms of just revenue for, for these equipment manufacturers that they can, they can continue to invest back into their, into their products so they can – you know, sell these row crop tractors that we that we certainly like to talk about here in uh, in farm country. We're talking with Kurt Blades. He is senior vice president ag services for the Association of Equipment Manufacturers. Looking at the uh, the June ag equipment sales numbers. All right, uh, like I mentioned at the outset, Kurt, if you just go by the news with the markets being where they're at and the tariffs and the trade wars and tensions that are going on, you would not expect these kind of numbers. Uh, what do you think What do you think's driving them? What's behind uh, this increase? Well, there's, there's a number of things that are driving it. And, and again, I, I like to talk with positive news to start with, but as you are well aware, there is a comma but to this. And, the, you know, the, what we're seeing what's driving these markets right now, what our, what our members are telling us is that we're in a replacement market. And that it's you know it's it's farmers that, uh, that feel confident enough in their business that uh, you know maybe they defer to purchase a, a year or two, and it's finally time for them to make some make some changes uh, or maybe make an investment. There's also some of the other just simple calendar factors that come into play, such as you know equipment coming off of lease, or or the the, the used inventories are such that. It just makes sense to, to buy new. There's a lot of different factors that come into play there, but I think the the general the general statement is it just it's a it's a general positive feeling about what the future is, uh, what the future holds for ag is what what we're kind of saying. It's a re, and it's a replacement market. We do not have a final farm bill yet. We've got to go through conference committee and get it passed, and there, there's a ways to go. But the fact that the, the the two bills that have been passed in the House and the Senate both protected crop insurance, that was probably yep. a sigh of relief as well. I'll tell you, you know, it's crop insurance and, and having a having a, so, a strong safety net for farmers out there is something that we we've, we've certainly have been advocating for in Washington D.C. on a pretty pretty uh, strong basis. So we were thrilled that, that both the House and the Senate bills have. Um, uh, crop insurance, uh, very little change, and certainly keeping that in keeping that in place. So we feel really good about that, and obviously that that should be reflected in those in those numbers as well. It's just that that uncertainty. Uh, whenever you can remove those uncertainty things, that that just helps people feel comfortable about the future a little bit. Yeah, because there's a lot of uncertainty out there. That's for sure. Now, Kurt, I'm gonna go back to your comments of you know replacing equipment and things like that. You really look at this year as a rebuilding year, don't you? I, I think so. I think so. I mean, it's 
it is a replacement market. I mean, you, 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 it's not as you know as 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 maybe as fun as the numbers that we saw when commodity prices were were you know hitting the ceiling and hitting record record highs a few years ago. But it's solid. You know, our manufacturers are pretty happy with the uh, with with uh, with continuing to sell a little bit more equipment. Uh, you know, year over year. And I'll tell you, you know, Mike, I would I would love to sit here and and say that it's all rosy, but as you alluded to, there's some real storm clouds out there as we talk about tariffs and trade, and and uh, you know, I, I I would fully expect um, you know, perhaps the, the the next report we're probably going to see some correction as a direct result of of, uh, of some of those those lower commodity prices specifically on soybean. And some of those uncertainty numbers um, to, to start to factor into that equipment sales for the for the next couple of months. What impact have you seen, if any, uh, with the steel and aluminum tariffs on the uh, ag equipment business? Well, you know, Mike, there are. Uh, it, it's, put it on the table. It's raising the cost of equipment. It's raising the cost of our manufacturers to to to. to Produce the equipment that they are that they're selling, and uh, you know, at some point that's going to that's going to have to, to to be reflected in the price. And it's not just I mean, steel and aluminum are are easy ones to point to because of the tariffs. But equipment, you know, uh, costs across the board are going up. Uh, you know, uh, you know, if you talk about transportation, you talk about labor, you talk about talk about metal. I mean, all those things. You know that cost is going up, and and uh, you know our our manufacturers don't want to don't want to take those price increases if they don't have to. And I don't. I think they're they're being very cautious on the ag market to to not take those price increases. But if at some point, you know, if your if your cost of raw materials goes up thirty percent, your cost of cost of transportation doubles, at some point that 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 does have to be reflected in the price. I don't know when that will happen and what that looks like, but it it is certainly. It is one of the effects. The other, the other effect that happens, you know, even more so in some of our other sectors, you know, when you've got a you've got a a, a, a product that is that is uh, you know mostly steel. I mean that that uh, that does affect the the bottom line of a of a company, and that that and they have to make some some changes as it relates to just their just their business itself. So the the, the steel tariffs are are a big concern. But for farmers, as you are also well aware, I think of a bigger concern is a, is a trade war. We sell a truckload of soybeans to, to China, and, and for our most favored, uh, our, if one of our favorite markets is, is losing its appetite for U.S. soybeans, that, that presents a problem for us. And well, we Kurt, at AEM have been pretty outspoken on our, right. our disapproval of, of the trade negotiations right now. Hopefully we'll have uh, better news uh, uh, on that front. By next month when we talk, and maybe it'll re- even be reflected in the, the J- July numbers when we talk again. Thank you very much. You bet. Thanks, Mike. Kurt Blades with the Association Equipment Manufacturers. A lot can happen in six seconds. A rodeo ride, a dramatic basketball win, and the world record holder can solve a Rubik's Cube. Six seconds is how long it takes for an 18-wheeler traveling at a safe speed to come to a complete stop. And in those six seconds, that truck will travel the length of two football fields. So please, give them room. Never cut in front of a large truck for any reason. Our roads, our safety. Learn more at sharetheroadsafely.gov. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. We're excited to explore the topics that make a difference to agriculture. 
the Farm Bill, immigration reform, reducing regulations, trade, new technology, as well as infrastructure and health care. Through the year, Adams on Agriculture will originate on location from several major national meetings and events. Subscribe to the show's podcast at AmericanAgNetwork.com. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. Time for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. Soybean futures trending lower on this Friday session. We've got losses in the teens an hour into the trading day. U.S. soybean stockpiles are due to grow more than expected next year as Washington's trade dispute with Beijing is eating into demand. USDA Thursday forecast stocks of soybeans for 2018-19 at 580 million bushels. That's about 50% higher than its previous estimate. The Central Corn Belt is expecting moderate showers the next few days. Could include parts of Missouri, several counties dry there. Temperatures will be hot over the weekend in the Southern Corn Belt, more moderate in the Northern Corn Belt. As they say, big crops get bigger. USDA yesterday increased its U.S. corn production forecast for the new crop to 14.2 billion bushels, increasing new crop soybean production to 4.3 billion bushels. For new crop December corn, we appear to be building a short-term base and bottom, according to the Wired Talk, off of yesterday's low at 350 and a quarter. Initial resistance to the top side lies at the 10-day moving average of 363 and three quarters. New crop November soybeans on the downside, Thursday's low 838. We broke through that. Another support level 835 and a half operating below that level an hour into the trading day. For livestock at the Merck and live cattle futures trending 15 to 50 cents lower, flat to 42 lower in feeder cattle, a mix in lean hog futures nearby July, near unchanged. The Dow up 16 points. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture, presented by the American Ag Network. I'm Rusty Halverson. What if you had a medical emergency away from home? What you need is Mobile Help, America's premier mobile medical alert system. Most systems only work at home, but with Mobile Help, you get help outside the home with coverage nationwide on one of the largest cellular networks at the press of a button. I press the button, and lo and behold, the emergency came within minutes. Mobile Help did save my life. No question about that. Call Mobile Help now for a free color brochure. We'll send you everything you need, including the base station, the patented mobile device, the waterproof pendant and wrist button. You can also add the fall button that automatically detects falls and signals help. Call today and receive a risk-free 30-day trial. There's no equipment to buy and no long-term contract. For a limited time, you'll also receive a free emergency key box with your plan purchase. Remember, mobile help keeps you safe coast to coast. Call 800-930-6137 now for your free mobile help brochure. That's 800-930-6137. Again, 800-930-6137. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. There's a big debate right now on who, which agency should have oversight of, whether you want to call them lab-produced meats or as many call them fake meats, meat imitations, but this extends into other products as well because regardless of who has a jurisdiction over in the oversight, the labeling issue issue and the enforcement of 
uh, labeling uh, rules and guidelines is a big part of this. Uh, this is a big issue for both uh, beef and pork producers, but it's also a big issue for the dairy industry and has been for some time, especially when it comes to labeling of, of uh, milk and dairy imitation products that are so much on the market now. I want to talk about that with National Milk Producer Federation's Vice President for Dairy Foods and Nutrition, Beth Brzezinski. Beth, thank you for joining us. This is a huge issue, isn't it, for the livestock industry, for the meat industry, but in particular to the dairy industry. Yeah, hey, good morning. Thanks, Mike. Um, Yes, this is a big issue, you know, and the meeting that FDA had yesterday, while it did focus on meat and poultry and seafood, um, from where we sit as dairy producers, we're looking at this and we see a lot of similarities. You know, you're talking about foods that are manufactured by a different technology compared to our traditional agriculture processes. And what is that food? What do you call it? How do you label it? How do you determine that it's safe? Those are all the questions that we were talking about with FDA yesterday. Yeah, the dairy industry has had issues with FDA for some time about not uh, more strictly enforcing rules and regulations that are on the books when it comes to labeling of uh, dairy imitation products, right? Yes. So it has been decades. You know, I mean, really decades that the industry has been fighting for the uh, FDA to actually take and do some enforcement action against these imitation dairy products. So for us, this isn't new. You know, this might be new for the meat folks, but for dairy, we've been here before. So does the dairy industry, do you have a preference over which agency has oversight, whether it's FDA or USDA, or are you <laughs> saying whichever one it is, just enforce the, the rules? Well, um, you know, to be fair, we don't we don't have a, a stake in the game when it comes to the meat issue. Um, so yeah, our the point that we made yesterday was whether it's USDA or FDA, whoever wants to take control, you need to make sure that enforcement is a key piece because otherwise you're going to have regulations that you just pick and choose what you follow, and that's how we ended up in the situation we're in with our dairy products. Um, you know, FDA sort of decided, well, we're going to let the standard of identity slide. And we're going to let other products use those terms, whether they meet the definition or not. And look at what that's done to our marketplace. So definitely, if you're going to if you're going to take control, you need to make sure that enforcement is a key piece. Yeah, basically, FDA up to this point has said this issue is not an, a priority for them when it comes to this labeling issue for dairy that you have brought up. So maybe this uh, imitation meat or fake meat or lab produce meat, whatever you want to call it, maybe this issue kind of helps uh, uh, you in your efforts to get something done on the on the labeling of dairy imitation products. You know, and that I think was the point that we made yesterday, and I think that registered with a lot of folks, you know. So here you have FDA saying they have jurisdiction over these types of products, and then National Milk comes in and says, well, you know, we might agree with you, but we need to see you put some teeth behind this. So I think that was an argument that really did resonate with the agency as well as with a lot of people who were in the room. We're talking with Beth Brzezinski, Vice President for Dairy Foods and Nutrition for the National Milk Producers Federation. Beth, I'm sure people are very much aware you go into a grocery store now, you look uh, in the dairy section, you'll see all kinds of uh, dairy imitation products. Uh, you see the the advertising uh, going on all the time. Uh, explain how this is impacting the real dairy industry. 
Wow. You know, I get asked that question a lot. And, you know, we definitely have proliferation of these types of products. And I think in that sense, it's confusing people. It's confusing people about what products should they choose for themselves and for their families to make healthful choices. Um, and, and to be honest, that's a shame because the dairy industry works so hard to make a safe, wholesome product. And then we have these imitators who come along and try to ride our coattails. So there, there are some hard feelings. I know that there are some companies that produce those products, and we've never said, hey, stop. But you do need to label it properly. So the industry is hurting right now, and I think that, you know, this is just something else that we look at and we say, wow, we just here's, – here's another thing where, you know, everyone is letting us down, and that includes our government who can't stand behind the laws that we follow. If there wasn't value to the name milk or dairy, then those – those other products wouldn't be using them. So obviously they've realized there is a value there. What When we say FDA is not enforcing the laws, the rules that are on the books now, what do those rules say? So the rules that we have right now say that milk has to come from a lactating cow. Um, and that's very clear. You know, So things that, that are plant-based or nut-based, those don't qualify for the definition of milk. Um, you mentioned the value of the word, you know, and you, let me share this with you, Mike. So we did a, uh, we did a survey recently of over 1,000 Americans, and when we asked them to rank in terms of nutritional importance, um, almond milk, almond beverage, almond drink, almond juice, 85% of them said almond milk was the healthiest product. And the only difference among those four foods was use of the term milk. So you know, if that doesn't tell you what a marketing tactic this really is, to me that that's plain as day. That's why they're doing this is because they want to take advantage of the positive attributes that milk brings to a food. And we've seen more and more of these products uh, come on board, and uh, maybe each one of them doesn't have a huge market share, but you know, if you add them all up, and especially considering. Uh, what dairy producers are that they're struggling now with with markets uh it it makes a difference it does make a difference and i think that's the part that's disappointing you know is that you have companies that are deliberately misleading american consumers you know and that's in my mind that's something that we should all stand up and say no that's unacceptable what is what is fda's uh, response when you talk to them about about this issue and why they're what is their reasoning or justification or rationale for not enforcing the rule that's on the books <laughs> well that's an interesting story so over the decades that we've been fighting this issue fda's response has changed um, they've always consistently said that it's not a priority but when they told us years ago, you know, so decades ago, they said, well, it's such a tiny market, it's not worth us going after it, right? You know, it's, 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 it's in ethnic stores, it's such a tiny market, it's imported product. This isn't a priority for us. Well, because they did nothing, the category exploded. And now they're at a point where they admit they had admitted to us that this is ridiculous. You know, all the varieties of nuts and weeds and grasses and seeds that are using the term milk, they admit it's ridiculous because they didn't do anything. But now they tell us it's not a priority because the issue is just too big, it's almost unmanageable. So, you know, 
I don't know. They're always going to have an excuse, but I think we're, we're closely getting to the point, especially with this new technology that we're talking about, I think we're closely, we're hitting a tipping point where FDA, I think, is going to have to make a decision because there's, there's too much going on here. There's too much attention on it. They can't keep doing nothing. So I think we're going to see something here eventually. Well, that is interesting. They went from saying it was too small an issue to deal with to saying it's too big an issue to deal with. Exactly, right? They're, they're, they're good at finding excuses. Wow. But as you say, now with this the, the meat issue that's coming on, I mean, it it's becoming too big to ignore now. Yes, it is. And I think... I'm not saying that we're going to we're going to win. I'm not saying that we're going to like the answer that we're going to get, but I think because of the technology, because of the marketplace, because of the political pressure, we're going to get a decision from FDA. You know, and we we want to make sure it's the right decision, but I'm I don't think that they're going to be able to stay silent much longer. The, there's too much going on. Like I said, I call this our tipping point. Has to be frustrating for a dairy producer to see another product um as you said ride their coattails get the advantages of your of your product i mean just by using the word dairy or milk in your label uh a consumer i'm sure just assumes then that that product has the benefits of dairy uh, of milk it it's true you know and like i said we have we have survey data that supports that you know when i talk to people that's the number one thing i hear is they say, well, if it has milk on it, I know that it's a nutritious product to feed my family. And, you know, the other frustrating part is, you know, Mike, look in the grocery store. You know, sometimes there are dairy, dairy drinks that aren't milk, and that's fine. We don't call them milk. We call them either a milk drink or a dairy drink or something along those lines. But if we're not calling it milk, why should something that has absolutely nothing to do with a cow get to use that word? So I think that's the other part that's frustrating is we need an even playing field for everybody. And I find it interesting. We've got so many groups and people out there screaming they, we have to have more accurate labeling and more information, better information than they ought to be on this issue because this has been going on for some time. <laughs> yes, and like I said, I think eventually here we're going to get an answer from FDA because it's important. You know, it's important for, in terms of the marketplace. It's important in terms of nutrition. Um, and to be honest, it's, it's the right thing to do. All right, Beth. Thank you. Appreciate uh, uh, you bringing us up to date on this issue. Thank you very much. Thanks so much, Mike. Take care. Beth Brzezinski, Vice President for Dairy Foods and Nutrition for the National Milk Producers Federation. So this is kind of a, uh, a, another issue, but connected with the debate that's going on right now about lab-grown meats and who should have jurisdiction, USDA or FDA. Uh, right now, the labeling of products such as uh, plant-based drinks using the term dairy, those are being uh, overseen by FDA, but FDA not following the rules. All right, when we come back, we'll talk markets with Steve Nicholson with Robo Research next on Adams on Agriculture. All right, guys, we're ready for our four-season sunroom, and Daddy's going to get a rec room with refreshments. Oh, no, we'll be sleeping under the stars. Mom, what about the runway? You know, the fun. Nice try, little bro. It's a gym, my gym. Hey, Grandma's getting her Four Seasons garden room, weather tight and still like being outdoors. Maybe a living room. Oh, no, wait, a family hub. Yeah. Yeah. 
No matter what the budget, the season, or the climate, Four Seasons Sunrooms let you and your family enjoy the outdoors inside. Call now to hear more about these great offers from the premier manufacturer of sunrooms since 1975. More reasons for Four Seasons now. To find out more, call toll-free 800-988-4477. That's 800-988-4477. Call 800-988-4477 today. Reason number 12 why you should own a Thermospas hot tub? They require no attachment to your home's plumbing. Thanks to the Thermospas unique built-in thermofiltration system that filters the water an incredible 144 times a day, you simply fill it with a garden hose and your water stays crystal clear with very little maintenance. Call to receive a free DVD and brochure and find out how you can own a Thermospas hot tub for only a few dollars a day. Right now, they're offering 0% APR financing with approved credit and a $1,000 savings coupon, including free delivery, free chemicals, and a cash discount. And with bottles starting at $4,995, there will never be a better time to own a Thermospas hot tub. So call now and ask about this limited time offer. Call Thermospas today at 800-991-5852 for your free DVD and brochure. That's 800-991-5852. Thermospas, hot tubs designed to improve your life. Call 800-991-5852 today to take advantage of 0% APR financing. If you or your family love the freedom of swimming any time of year, if you love sharing good times and making great memories, or if you want one of the best total body workouts ever, then it's time to discover the three C's of your very own endless pool. The first C is convenience. Imagine swimming year-round in your own private swimming pool, installed indoors or out, just steps away. The second C is comfort. With sculpted spa seats and your own adjustable temperature, you can easily escape the stress of your day. And the third C is cost. Your endless pool is an affordable luxury at a fraction of the cost of a regular pool. And here's a bonus C, choice. Because when you call for your free Endless Pool Idea Kit, you'll receive information on our full line of pools to suit your budget and location. Call now for your free information, 800-717-0734, 800-717-0734. We paid less for our Craftmatic today than we did 20 years ago. If you're still searching for the perfect solution to a good night's sleep, call now for prices and free information on today's Craftmatic adjustable beds. And then decide when you see how little they cost. Rated number one by consumers nationwide on ConsumerAffairs.com. Craftmatic beds come in all mattress types, including cool gel memory foam for up to 50% less than today's leading memory foam brand. Enjoy temporary relief of low back pain, poor circulation, nighttime heartburn, mild arthritis. You'll sleep better in a Craftmatic adjustable Bed. So if you're still searching for the perfect solution to a good night's sleep, call now for prices and information, and then decide when you see how little they cost. Discover Craftmatic for less, up to 50% less than today's leading memory foam brand. Call 1-800-318-7903. That's 1-800-318-7903. 1-800-318-7903. Call now. Do you need a car? Been shopping only to be turned down because of bad credit? Low credit, no credit, bankruptcy, or divorce? Guess what? Today's your lucky day. Because now you can buy a car, truck, or SUV, just about any vehicle. It's true. Bad credit doesn't matter. No credit doesn't matter. Bankruptcy or divorce, it just doesn't matter. As a matter of fact, your job is your ticket to your new vehicle. We're Auto Credit Express, and we've helped thousands of people just like you. 
Antonio H. told us, great company, got me connected, and the day I went in, I drove off in the car I wanted. 100% worth your time. Need a car? Get started now and drive off as early as today. Just go to 11ignoremyscore.com right now. That's www.11ignoremyscore.com. Auto financing the easy way. 11ignoremyscore.com. Get started today. Auto financing the easy way. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Welcome back. Some of the news of the day. Some good news for trade for a change. Uh, After about a 15-year absence, U.S. lamb officially gets access into Japan once again. So uh, USDA announcing that Japan opening their market back up to U.S. lamb. So that's some good news. Uh, On the farm bill front, some not-so-good news. Uh, We've talked before. In fact, Colin Peterson, ranking member of the House Ag Committee, was on with us recently and said that he still hadn't been talking uh, with, uh, he hadn't heard from Chairman Conaway or his office, and they hadn't talked anymore about the farm bill in quite some time. Well, evidently, they got together this week, and it didn't really go well. Big differences still remain over SNAP, and uh, I guess it uh, got a little heated at times in their discussion, so they still got some fence mending to do there uh, in the leadership of the House Ag Committee as they get ready to move on to conference committee, and we'll be talking more about that next week. Uh, We also have uh, numbers from USDA to go over, and to help us uh, go through those, Steve Nicholson, Vice President with Robo Research Food and Agribusiness, Grains and Oilseeds Analyst, joins us. Steve, thanks for being with us. What was your takeaway from USDA's latest numbers? Well, good morning, Mike. Thanks for having me. Well, you know, there wasn't probably a lot in here that was, you kind of go, oh, my gosh, that was quite a big deal, but there there was some numbers that, kind of get you kind of wondering a little bit or I think you have to think about. You know, one thing I noted right up front, right off the bat, when you look at the WASDE report was, you know, USDA made a, a note, and they were very diplomatic and I, about, uh, you know, basically saying that, you know, all the action around trade right now is not impacting these numbers. We only deal with the trade actions that are in place right now and not what's, uh, what's happening as far as you know, uh, tariffs and things like that. So I thought it was interesting that they commented on that right up front. Yeah. You know, probably the biggest thing that, you know, stuck out right off the bat was that USDA did take China imports of soybeans down for next year. Uh, I was a little surprised at that. I mean, it was, a, it was an 8 million metric ton drop, and that's, you know, that's quite a bit. And so, and then that ref- was reflected in, you know, our exports is for, for 18, 19 and soybeans. So that's, not a surprise that way. It should be, but I think when people saw that initially and looked at soybeans, they're like, "Wow, they took exports down." You know, that's reflective of their change in Chinese soybean imports. Is not reflective of the tariff thing. You know, tariff issues at all. So I think that's one thing people needed to to keep in mind. Uh, you know, the other thing I was watching, and I think USDA and and well, this is for wheat people. Um, USDA is did take European Union uh, production down. They also took Ukrainian production down as well. Um, so I think some opportunities for wheat farmers, U.S. wheat farmers this year, probably for some export opportunities, particularly for that higher quality and higher protein wheat um, overseas because Europe's probably not going to have it or and the Black Sea may not have it as well or not have as much of it. So those are a couple big takes I took off the bat um, going forward. I do think also USDA, when we look at, you know, when we're doing, we're literally in the middle of working on our baseline forecast right now. Um, it's a 10-year baseline. It's not just focused on next year. 
um, but we're looking probably potentially a little higher um, ending stocks on corn than USDA is right now, uh, and we'll know more about that later. Uh, soybeans, we're in the camp with USDA that those ending stocks are going to be big next year, and that's going to have a you know a detrimental effect on soybean prices. What are we looking at when it comes to world supplies of corn? Well, that was the other big thing, and I'm going to turn to that page because it, you know, USDA is looking at, and I'm going to. Um, let me turn to that page real quickly. I mean, they're looking at, you know, a kind of a drop-off in production. And so they're seeing, you know, ending stocks of, of, of corn coming down quite a bit. You know, that will be helpful long-term. I mean, the U.S., you know, part of that's because of what's happened in Brazil, although, you know, this year. Uh, so you do get a little drop-off in ending stocks. But, again, you're still talking, you know, pretty big numbers um, going forward. And it's, it's the fact is that when you look at, corn supplies and, and, and coarse grains are driven by corn supplies globally it is down globally but the fact is that the United States is the big you know we're the big grill in the room and if we have adequate corn supplies then that's probably going to be detrimental to prices overall yeah so overall it's a bright spot. Look, let's put it that's probably a good yeah, way to leave that yeah so how does this uh, set us up now for as we look you know for marketing uh, and market yep. uh, influences and drivers here. I mean, we're into summertime. We got some crop concerns, but overall the ratings still look good. We got all these yep. trade tariffs and tensions. Uh, what's uh, what's the market uh, tone here <laughs> for for the summer? Well, I think the market tone. I think I hate to say today is an indicator, but you know markets are down across the board today. You know, there's and you've mentioned all the factors that we have to think about. One is that, yes, the trade situation has made has created a lot more uncertainty, um, and that's been generally negative to the markets. But I would also, you know, for livestock people, this is an op- probably an opportunity to think about do you cover some feed now at some fairly reasonable prices and lock in some profits. So um, that's, you know, there's a bright spot on that. But at the same time, with all that uncertainty around trade, if something gets worked out, the markets probably will bounce back and maybe an opportunity for producers to, to maybe, you know, get off some sales going forward. Um, you know, the weather, and you mentioned it, the weather generally looks pretty good. Uh, there is some dry spots here in central Missouri, uh, north-central Missouri, and parts of eastern Kansas, but generally across the Corn Belt, and there is rain forecasted for this weekend uh, across the Corn Belt, uh, you know, those, the crops look pretty good. And so you've got a potential for a huge crop coming forward, um, that will be, again, I hate to say it, but, I mean, you have to be a little bearish on prices going forward with the kind of crop we have here. I have been, I will be honest, I've been a little surprised that we continue to move this market lower um, in, in the face of this time of year when it is, you know, we do have a lot of ups and downs on corn or on weather, but, you know, it, it just seems like the market wants to be bearish right now. And, and I would think that at some point here is, is, a, it is, is probably pretty close, if not there, kind of oversold and so we could see a bounce back you know as we get closer to harvest we may be putting those what, what we would term harvest lows i think maybe early this year versus later unless the trade thing gets worse yeah that's the big question at this point isn't that is what the happens big there? question of the day absolutely right all right steve as always thank you very much talk to you again More. soon thank you all right steve nicholson with rabo research yeah 
If you're in one of those areas of tough weather, like in parts of Missouri, it's hard to imagine, but the, you know, the markets are assuming a big crop, it looks like. In other places, we know that there are some good crops, so we'll see what happens. Hopefully, those dry areas get some rain uh, this weekend. Hey, coming up next week, Iowa Senator Charles Grassley will be with us on Monday. Want to talk about the RFS, want to talk about Farm Bill, and want to talk about the Supreme Court. Lots to talk about with him coming up on Monday. Have a great weekend, everyone. Thanks for joining us on Adams on Agriculture.